You are listening to the most comprehensive source for news and views about today's unions. This is LaborUnionNews.com's Labor Relations Radio and your host, Peter List. You want answers? I think I'm entitled. You want answers? I want the truth! You can't handle the truth! Hey, thanks for turning on and tuning in to Labor Relations Radio. So if you've been listening to Labor Relations Radio for any length of time, you'll know that I like to have a variety of people on the podcast. And whether we're talking about economics, labor policy, human resources, a news story, or other workplace issues, I like to ask a lot of questions to people who I find interesting and who I think you'll find interesting as well. I mention this because today's guest is not somebody from the labor relations world. And in fact, it's somebody I've known most of his life and whom I've been following from afar for the last 10 years or so. Today's guest is Ben Minden, a former army captain turned cowboy. Ben is the founder of Bear Hug Cattle Company, which is a 501c3 charity whose purpose is taking vets who are leaving the military and training them for work in our nation's ranching industry. Now, I've heard Ben talk about the mission of Bear Hug Cattle Company in person, as well as on podcasts and videos, but I thought it would be fun today to do a deeper dive into the transition of how one goes from West Point to the battlefields of Afghanistan and Iraq to the wide open spaces of Montana, Colorado, and Wyoming, and how a MBA at Harvard might help make better cowboys during an industry shortage. So without further ado, here's Ben Minden from the Bear Hug Cattle Company. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. Well, Benjamin Minden, welcome to Labor Relations Radio. This is not our usual episode talking about labor policy and politics and things like that. But um, And I should mention for the listeners that we have a personal relationship in that you are my nephew. Correct. Although I have not seen you much in the last 10 years or so because you have been all over the world. Yes, very true. Have not made it home too much in the last decade. So you are founder, co-founder of Bear Hug Cattle Company. And I thought it would be an appropriate title for this that from American warrior to American cowboy. So I thought we could kind of do a deeper dive into kind of how you got into ranching and, and cowboy life in that not too long ago, you were serving the military, serving the, the nation. Yeah, no, it's a, it's an interesting transition for sure. And uh, yeah, we could, we could definitely jump into it. Um but yeah, I started out, um, as you know, uh, in New Jersey. And so the, just right off the bat transition, suburban New Jersey. Yeah. Transitioning to the cowboy life is, uh, it is not an easy jump from there, but got interested in the military as a teenager. I can't quite put my finger on if there was one single thing that kind of did it or, or what, but got interested probably as a 15 or 16 year old in the military for whatever reason, as, as young boys do and um, really wanted to join the Marine Corps. And I came home one day, told my mom and dad, I was going to join the Marine Corps. And they and said, and your mom turned pale. Yep. Said, absolutely not. Uh, you're going to college. Um, not an option. And, you know, as a 16 year old, I didn't know that you could just not listen to your parents at that point. Um, so I said, that's right. Okay. Um, and so, but my mom did say, she's like, Hey, I know there's this deal where you could go to college and still do the military thing. If you really want to ROTC, she had heard of these places, West point Annapolis, where you could kind of do both. And so she put me in the car and took me up to West point, which was like about an hour and a half North of where I grew up. And tapped some cadet on the shoulder, said, hey, can you tell my son about, you know, the deal here? Talk to him, talk to some people kind of around the school that day. I was just like, oh, yeah, I'm definitely going to do this. And they they hook you with all the cool recruiting videos of sliding out of helicopters and jumping out of planes and stuff. And so um, I was pretty bought in from, from that day on. And I ended up 
applying, um, getting in, and then and then showing up to the basic training for that uh, six days after I graduated high school. Yeah, so it was it was kind of during that time where I started not seeing you too much. <clears throat> but yeah. I recall a story where when you were at West Point, they sent you to Mexico or something for like a semester. Is that right? That is correct. Yeah, and, I did. And, I spent six months there. Yeah, and you got mugged. I think right. I did get uh, by the police. Is that yeah? Is that right? Yep. I got. I got. I don't know if the right term would be abducted, kidnapped, mugged, held for ransom by the police in Mexico. Um, I had to pay my own ransom to the police uh, the next day. Um, yeah, that was an interesting time. That whole thing was crazy. The um, I did get abducted by the police, had to pay my own ransom. And then my, the other army buddy I was there with ended up breaking his foot like shortly thereafter. This was during the, um, it wasn't a government furlough, but they basically stopped paying the military for like a month. Oh, and budget, budget conflicts in Washington. mm -hmm. Yep. So like we, and as you know, cadets at West Point, you make like, nothing for my, you get paid but it's really really like barely enough to live off of and so we were in mexico we had just spent all our money paying our ransom he broke his foot we we didn't know what to do because we were basically like alone in mexico uh as like 20 year olds and so we went to a hospital ended up paying like thousands of dollars of cash to get his foot fixed between the two of us and then the government, uh, like, you know, put the pay freeze for like a month or something. So we were like about to get evicted out of our apartment in Mexico, all kinds of crazy stuff going on down there, but it was fun. Yeah. And you were, if I recall, you were studying mathematics or something down at, at the university of Mexico in Mexico city. Is that right? Yep. So I was the stories I was hearing back then. So yeah, yeah, I I was studying math um, in my undergrad there at West Point, and then I was doing a math program um, in in Mexico City for for six months and doing some language training as well. All right, so transition. You graduated West Point, and you went um, into Rangers. Not immediately, but you. His. Yeah, so I my senior year, they had decided to do this program where they were going to try to send – the typical path is – so I chose to be an infantry officer out of West Point. The typical path is you go to the infantry officer basic course, which is, you know, nine months. You go to airborne school, which is another month. And then after all that, you go to ranger school, which is anywhere from two to six months long. And so my senior year, they came out with this pilot program where they said, we're going to take 25 people, we're going to send them to ranger school with without going to the other training, and then you'll do the other training afterwards. And so I volunteered to do that program because I wanted to get ranger school out of the way. So I did, uh, I went from graduation, I basically, I think I had like 10 days off, and then I moved down to Fort Benning and then went to the pre-ranger course and then ranger school and then was in ranger school that whole summer finished up in um october i think and then started the then started the infantry officer basic course then uh airborne school graduated those then went to the 101st airborne division uh at fort campbell um and then i showed up there and you know, thirty days later, I went to Afghanistan with with that unit. Yeah, you've you've been in and out of Afghanistan through the years, right? Yep. So that was so I basically showed up there, went to Afghanistan as a platoon leader for the first time with the hundred and first, which was just like such a cool experience. And then when I was there, I worked with Ranger Regiment on on something. And then ended up talking to a bunch of the guys, and they're like, you should apply to go to Ranger Regiment. And so I, on that deployment, I put in my application to go to Ranger Regiment, came home, went straight to the tryout for Ranger Regiment, made it, showed up to Ranger Regiment, went back to Afghanistan, and then uh, came back and ended up uh, being a platoon leader in BCO, 3rd Ranger Battalion, which is the uh, company from Black Hawk Down. Um mm. 
and then and then as a platoon leader in that company went went to Iraq with with that uh, platoon. And this was back when the action was still somewhat hot, right? Yeah, my my so my first deployment to Afghanistan with the 101st definitely yes. Um that was like an infantry officer's, you know, dream in some sense. It was very much so uh, kind of a more traditional deployment. The first couple months, we were just doing um, ground defense patrols and key leader engagements and n- nothing terribly exciting, um, flying around, going and checking places out, doing patrols. Um, and then and then that kind of spring, it really picked up. Not much happens there in the winter, um, kind of a, a, like a large level. But in the spring, when things started to pick up, that's when it turned into like we were living out of rucksacks and make living in patrol bases and wandering around these big valleys, getting in gunfights and stuff like that. So that's when it was uh, turned into kind of like a, a more interesting deployment. At some point, you went to Italy. I remember you. I don't know where it was in the in the time span, but you're in yep. Italy for a while, and you've been to. Uh, other countries too, I think, right? Yeah. So, I mean, kind of, uh, yes. So after I got back from Iraq in Ranger Regiment, I went to the Maneuver Captain's Career Course, which is a six-month-long course you have to do in the Army. <clears throat> and then after that, I basically was trying to figure out what to do um, and got a phone call from someone saying, hey, we have this job opening in Italy like we're looking for someone who could leave on Friday. I think this was Sunday and they're like, we're looking for someone who could leave on Friday. And there's like not that many unmarried captains in the army who could show up someplace halfway around the world on a Friday. And so I was like, it really sounds cool. I'll, I'll go over there. And then, so I left and, and went to Italy and I was there for seven months probably. And then ended up coming back to Fort Bragg after that and and getting out from there. And, so somewhere in there, and I'm, I'm trying to piece all the pieces together of this puzzle, because the last I had heard, this was before you left and, and started Bear Hug, is you're going to torture camp training or something, right? In, where was that, Bragg? Or, yep. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And like within not long after that, you're done. And I, I don't know yeah, so if you ever I, went through it or if you had already, like I knew you were going, you know, you're doing riding and rodeos and, and stuff like that all along the way, or at least part of the way. Yep. Yeah. So I did I, I one step that we didn't cover. So from the maneuver cabin's career course, I had actually gone to the special forces assessment and selection, which is the green beret side of the house. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. And then moved to Fort Bragg in March, or sorry, April of 2020, which was right when COVID started happening. And so I had moved to Fort Bragg to go do the rest of that training, and like COVID happened, and basically they were like, "This course is not gonna, you're not gonna be able to get into this course." Like we weren't even allowed to go on base. Like we weren't doing anything for like two months. Oh, interesting. And so, yeah, and so. Um, they were like, because of that, everything was super backed up and they were like, I showed up there, um, after SFAS and was going to start in processing for the Q course, did start in processing for the Q course. And then they were like, yeah, you're not going to like class up, which is, you know, start the training for like at least a year. And I was like, oh, well, what am I going to do in the meantime? And they were like, you're going to stay in formation twice a day, uh, until like you start. And so I did that for like two months and I was like, this is so boring. Like I can't, can't, uh, can't do this for like another year of just like standing around waiting to start this course. And so that's when I got the phone call to go to Italy and I was like, yep, for sure. Okay. All right. So that was that time frame. All right. So, um, let's, let's transition in a moment to bear hug. So where are you right now? Currently. Currently. I'm in Boston. Okay. What the heck are you are you doing in Boston? 
I I uh, am actually finishing up my MBA from Harvard Business School this week. Okay, that's what I wanted to get to. So, so let's pause on that and then now go back to Bear Hug and the formation of Bear Hug because okay. it, it's puzzling as to why a cowboy who's running a five hundred one c three needs an MBA. But we'll come back to that. So along this journey, and I'm I'm kind of doing this in timeline fashion but along this journey you got interested in horses which you didn't really do as a kid in new jersey and not necessarily part of your army training right correct so how did you get involved with the horse side of the house so the horse side of the house yeah there's definitely kind of two separate timelines here there's like the army stuff and the bear hug stuff so the bear hug stuff, I I had just kind of always had a little bit of an interest in the horse stuff, just kind of seen it. I had been going out to Montana since I was in college uh, to go fly fishing. And, you know, it's a big part of the culture out there. But so I'd kind of seen it. It's been interesting and something that I, you know, would, would want to try if I had the opportunity. And so... Um, I ran into someone when I was in third ranger battalion in South Georgia. And basically it's a, it's a kind of a crazy convoluted story, but I had shot a deer one night. Uh, I was out hunting and I shot a deer. I brought it to the local butcher shop uh, to drop it off. And the owner of the butcher shop was there. We got to talking and he, he was a horse trainer. His name's Johnny Daffin, who, um, Johnny, Right. I met him last year. Yeah. Yep. And so he was the owner of a, still is the owner of a butcher shop in South Georgia and got to talking about riding and all that stuff. And he'd asked if I had ever ridden cutting horses. I said, no, he said, well, why don't you come and try it out? And so I followed up with him and ended up going riding cutting horses and just totally fell in love with it. And then ended up, you know, just, um, going over there as much as possible, getting to ride and learn from Johnny. And I spent, I spent a long time riding with him and learning as much as I could. And now, uh, you know, he comes out to Montana and helps with the um, kind of beginning portion instruction of bear hug. But so the, basically I got more into it with Johnny on the weekends and after work and during leave. And I just started doing it with all my free time and then started showing and competing in the cutting and then started roping a little bit and started working on some ranches down South just for fun. Um, and then I started to realize that there was a lot of people at work in the army who also wanted to do this stuff, but really there's no way to get into it. If you didn't just happen to bump into a guy like Johnny Daffin, um, because let's say you wanted to get into it. Like, how do you even start that? Like, you can't just like go buy a horse. If you've never had a horse before, you can't just go ride someone's horse 99.9% of the time, unless you kind of know what you're doing because it's a thousand pound animal and can kill you and you could hurt it and all that kind of stuff. So it's like a weird, there's a weird gap between like knowing nothing and like then having enough skills to go and learn a lot more. And so Johnny, basically close that gap for me. And I figured, well, I could maybe try and come up with a way to close this gap for people in the army. And so it started out as just like a fun thing where, you know, two or three guys from work would come out and do a day or two of riding and stuff like that. And then, um, started to gain a little more traction in the army. Uh, more people just wanted to do it. And we kind of, came together and said, well, is there a way we could make this a little bit more formal and um, stuff like that and really kind of put pen to paper on how to do it? And that was kind of the genesis of the the nonprofit now. So let me come back to Johnny for a second. Um, and I met him for, you know, because we went out there last year and I met him for a couple of days. He, to me is for those listening kind of, if you remember the old Robert Redford movie, the horse whisperer, and he is um, probably early to mid fifties. Yep. Just a a cowboy really. And just mellow and watching him with the horses, watching him with you guys is like, wow, he really knows what he's doing. So yeah, he is best. He is best in class. Like he is, 
Um, you know, of all the people over the years now that I've ridden horses with, I enjoy riding and learning from him like at an exceptional level because he's just he's so he just gets it. He's such a good communicator. He's so patient, um, which is a big big thing that um, not a lot of people have. And he he's so good with horses. He's so good with teaching people. And it's just he's a really really special teacher. So that kind of as the setup, um, let's, let's talk a little bit about, you know, bear hug cattle company, but more, more to the point of what made you decide that there's a need for bear hug cattle company? Yeah. So as, as we kind of, like I mentioned, it started out as almost a fun thing or just something that, you know, guys from work were interested in. So we started doing it. And then as, you know, I was working on some ranches and some more people were hearing about it through the Army, it kind of started to piece together that, A, this is a really hard thing to get into if you didn't get lucky like me. Um, And then with that, I started to kind of uncover that there was a lot of people in the military who would fit really well in this community, right? It's like team-oriented, values-driven kind of mission focus. You got to take the day doesn't end at five o'clock. It ends when the work is done. And, um, you know, if you finish your work at noon, you're done at noon. If you finish your work at two in the morning, you're done at two in the morning. And so, um, the, the similarities started to show up between like the military and the ranching community to me. And then with that, I also started to notice there was a ton of people getting out of the military who, would have would love to go into this line of work, but there's just no path to learning those skills. Um, and then kind of also with that, I started to see a bunch of my friends get out and they just hated whatever job they were doing. Like if someone got out and was an accountant or a manager at Walmart, like they just hated it. Um, because sitting, it's not sitting in, in a cubicle is a lot different than army life. Yeah, it's just, it's just, it's not like, it's not a good match for most people getting out of the military to go be an individual contributor somewhere where you have like no friends and no team and no mission and all that kind of stuff. And so with the ranching community, like you have all that stuff, you have a team, you have a mission, you have a reason to be doing stuff. It's like pretty difficult work. Um, It's fun. Uh, It's just really similar to the military. And I think my thing that I started to realize is when people get out of the military, the thing they miss is the community and the team and the type of work and being able to get up and, and like have a reason to get up early and go do something and be disciplined. And when you go into kind of like more traditional jobs, you don't really have that anymore. So if you're a person who love that about the military and you're going and managing a Walmart, like it just, your satisfaction level is going to plummet. And then that's when people get into trouble with drugs or alcohol or family or all that kind of stuff or um, just general dissatisfaction. And so that's kind of the genesis of the, the idea is we saw that there was this great fit for people getting out of the military, but no way for them to get to that place because there's no kind of training program to, to do it. So the training that Bear Hug does um, and I'll kind of encapsulate it and then you can give the details, but it's essentially a 10 week program that taking somebody who may have never had horse horseback riding experience and walking them through the ranch life, so to speak, you do brandings, you do, you know, all sorts of stuff. Mm-hmm. And, and so walk us through what this program is. Yeah, so at a high level, it is giving people who are transitioning out of the military the skills, resources, connections to get their first job on a ranch. Um, and so what that, how we do that is it's a 10-week program, like you mentioned. Um, the first two weeks, plus or minus a few days, are really just all kind of skill-based training. So learning how to saddle your horse, learning how to ride your horse, learning how to throw a rope, learning how to feed horses, uh, shoe horses, kind of all the basic 101-level building blocks. And then from there we go and we start to 
employ those skills on working ranches across Montana, Wyoming, Colorado for two reasons. One, you can really develop your skills if you're put in a situation where you're forced to use them. Two, uh, you're around people who are exceptionally good at the skill that you're trying to learn all the time. And then three, you're also meeting, you know, potential future employers along the way. Um, So by the end of the summer, we'll have met 30 to 40 cowboys, ranch managers, people who will be hiring people at some point in the future. And so you're, you're practicing your skills, you're around people who are really good at the skills, and then you're also meeting people who are hiring people who have the skills. Um, and, and so that's kind of how the program works with that. But, yep, we, we do brandings, we take care of yearlings outside, we test weigh cattle, ship cattle, receive cattle, just whatever the ranches are doing. And we have the schedule kind of arranged so that we see basically one or two iterations of each event throughout the summer. Um, but everyone gets a pretty, pretty good view of what their first job on a ranch will look like. So, and, and you're talking ranches in Montana, Wyoming, as well as Colorado, right? Am I missing any States? So you guys are on the road for most of the summer, um, and spending a week or two weeks. A lot of it is outdoors. You're, you're literally intense, right? Big time. Yes. Yeah. Same tense as last year? Oh, yeah. Well, so we have uh, been fortunate enough to grow um, a good bit in the last couple of years. So last year we stayed in canvas, you know, outfitter wall tents at most places just because, one, a lot of these places are so remote that that's the only kind of lodging that there is. So, for example, we would stay 10, 15 miles away from the headquarters with our horses, where the cattle are, and we'd look after cattle in kind of more remote areas um, for a week or two weeks. Um, But so we have been, like I said, fortunate enough to be able to kind of grow a little bit. We we now have uh, a couple houses leased in Walden, Colorado, and a couple houses leased in Montana. Um, So when we're in Montana, we have access to, you know, some showers and some laundry machines and some some places to sleep that aren't tents. And then same thing in Colorado, but in Wyoming, we still are in tent city. So So I'm gonna I'm gonna preface this next question for you um with with the kind of the backstory of how I've kind of been like watching and, and evolved. But um so one of my sons was your intern last year because he was an auto mechanic who just wanted to do something different and is now employed out in a ranch in Wyoming. And I, my question for you, for those listening who watch Yellowstone, this is not like Yellowstone, is it? It is certainly not. I wish it was. That would be slick if we had helicopters and big houses and all that stuff. But no, it is certainly not like Yellowstone. And the the work is different than Yellowstone as well, right? Yes. Like, I have a vivid memory of, like, last summer, one of the guys was also a ranger. And at one point, I forget what it was, but we just looked at each other and we were like, man, this is way harder than, like, being in the Army. Like, the work is, like, exhaustingly hard all the time. Um, Here, like, this is a perfect example of... I wouldn't say like an average day, but like not an abnormal day. We had gone out and left super early in the morning, had been working all day. It's 90 degrees. Wyoming is basically this area of Wyoming that we work in is basically the desert. Um, it's it's on top of the Continental Divide. It's very hot in the summer. Um, and very you know, cold in the winter. Very cold in the winter, very hot in the summer. There's no water anywhere. It's just like it's a desert. And, uh, so we were, we had been out all day working. We got back at probably eight o'clock at night and we had lost a couple shoes on the horses that we had needed for the next day. And so, and the next day we were starting at two forty-five in the morning to try and beat the heat. So we got home at eight and we were getting up at two forty-five to go, work the next day and we had to shoe horses that night 
like we we got home, we fed the horses, we rode, we ate a little bit of dinner, went back outside, and we were shoeing horses until like eleven thirty or midnight under like the headlights of trucks and headlamps, and then got two hours of sleep, woke up, caught our horses, and went back to work the next day. Um, so it's definitely like very hard work. It's not super glamorous. Um, it is, it is really cool when you are doing the, the cool stuff, but it's also like you put in a lot of, uh, hard work to get to be able to do the cool stuff. So to that end, I don't know if, and I'm, I'm saying this for those that think this is like Yellowstone. Um, so I was talking to my son Sunday evening and said, what are you guys doing tomorrow? And he said, well, we're moving some steers and we're doing bull checks. Do you know what a bull check is? I do. <laughs> so for the listeners, a bull check is essentially ensuring, I'm saying this in a way that's not completely gross, but ensuring that a bull has the the amount of what is needed to procreate. And if you've seen the episode of Yellowstone where Jimmy is on the four sixes, it's like that, but worse. Oh, yeah. So it's essentially putting something up the bull's butt, for lack of a better term, and ensuring that it gets its rocks off. So when he said that, I was like, oh, boy, you better not be standing behind the bull, especially if you have to put something up there. And so I'm shortening this story, but needless to say, that evening, Monday evening, he sent me a picture of literally from about mid-stomach all the way down to his boots, covered in bull poop. So that's the unglamorous part. Yeah, yeah, that is the privilege of being a new guy on the ranch. Right. Uh, but the good news is, you know, in a year or two, there'll be a new guy that he gets to make check bulls. So, yeah, um, it's very like, again, it's very similar to the military, right? Like the privates do the unglamorous stuff and like they become a team leader 18 months later and then, there's new private to do the unglamorous stuff. Right. Um, and you get to sit there and laugh at them while they do the unglamorous stuff. Um, so it is, it is very similar in that respect, but yeah, there's a lot of, um, there's a lot of like unsexy parts of, of ranching, right? Like, like I said, when you get to do the stuff, like go to brandings and ride horses and rope and you're covering cool country on a nice horse and doing all that kind of stuff. It's, awesome um but like you know there was also days last summer when we fixed fence for 16 hours and all we did was uh ride around on the atv for 16 hours with a bunch of staples and uh fencing supplies and like fixed ten thousand acres worth of fence um so there's days like that there's there's days where you're checking bulls there's there's a lot of uh you know, a half day of putting mineral out where you're just bouncing around a pickup truck to drive 10 miles yeah. on a dirt road to uh, kick a tub of mineral out the back of your truck. Um, so there's, there's a good mix, but just like, again, with the military, right? Like there's days when you're going on like the coolest mission you'll ever go on. There's days where you're like just sitting there cleaning your rifle. Um, and so there's, you know, exciting parts and not exciting parts. But I would say uh, Yellowstone is probably only showing the hyper exciting parts. Yeah, it's interesting. The um, you know I've I've watched that over the years, and it wasn't until season five. There's a couple episodes, not to get into you know plot spoilers, but there's a couple episodes that actually show what the actual cowboy is like. Out of five years worth, you know the the cowboy life didn't show up until episode you know season five. So yeah, and they actually I go think, out and do a branding and stuff. Yeah, I think that stuff is is really cool. And those are, like I said, those are the really fun, awesome ones. And it's cool to be part of those traditions. Um, but yeah, it's definitely there's a lot that goes into it that's not that as well. So um, before we got on, I I was asking you because I only hear stuff like third hand at this point. But um, you're doing two programs this year. So it started out. You're you've been couple years in the making with Bear Hug Cattle Company, but your first program was last year, right? Yeah, so the way I would describe it is we did it, like, right, back in Georgia, we kind of developed the idea. Then in North, when I was at Fort Bragg, we kind of did the idea 
at a very small scale with onesies and twosies over long periods of time, kind of just whenever, whenever. Um, and that's like when we, we like came up with the idea, we tested and proved the idea. And then last year, so like starting two years ago was when we kind of redefined the idea into what it is now, which is um, the 10 week long course where we take four people for 10 weeks um, and, and do the full spectrum kind of all intensive deal that we do now. And last summer was the first time we had done that. And then we did it with one group last year. And then this year we're doing it with a, a group of four and then a group of uh, three. And so those will be back to back this year. And so when you say back to back, you don't have a week off in between or are you I going? Think, I think there's probably 10 days off in between Okay, um, just for my mental health. Uh, so just it's a it's a it's a very um like time consuming uh program because you know if like the if on a ranch they work that day from six to five and they're done, like we work from six to five and then we're doing more learning stuff until nine o'clock at night, like practicing roping or going over the plan in detail for the next day, which like the ranch doesn't have to do. Um, right. And so for us, like it's an extra 50% on the end of every work day. And so, yeah, we, we're going to take a little bit of time off in between the two deals this year, just so I could get everything sorted and ready for the next group. Well, and I know, you know, you spent last summer, not only doing and running the program, but at the end of the summer, you culminated with a rodeo, a ranch rodeo in Annis and, Correct. you know, fundraising, et cetera. But you know, you were also planning that and trying to get trucks lined up and people lined up and all that. And yeah, I assume that you're doing, be... are you doing the same thing this year? Um, we, our original intention at the end of last year was to do the ranch rodeo again this year. Um, but our, the, my other buddy who has been very instrumental in bear hug, Ian Concannon is, uh, out of the country for the next six months. And so we decided to pause the ranch rodeo for this year because with me being fully tied up in the program, he took on a lot of the ranch rodeo stuff last year and he just, he's not able to do it this year. And so we're going to pause it this year and then jumpstart it up again next summer. So talk about your, um, I don't know if you call it board of directors, but you have, you have a, a board of folks helping you yep. and, and part of the program as well. Right. Yep. Yeah, so um, in terms of, like, the people who help, so Ian is, is definitely the main one. He's been kind of there since the beginning. He's involved in every major decision, uh, very much so, like, um, you know, when I'm doing in the program during those 10 weeks, like, it's just so crazy for me that, you know, I would finish up at 10 o'clock at night, drive an hour to go get service, answer emails and get on an hour long sync phone call with Ian so that he knew what to do the next day, like to get stuff lined up for the rodeo or to go buy hay or something where, and then like I would go back to the guys and, and, and go back to camp and, and uh, do the program stuff. Now is, um, Ian, so was, is Ian still active duty? He is. Okay. That's what I thought. Yep. And so he, you know, he was, waiting up till midnight East coast time for me to get done at 10 o'clock Montana time so that he could get the details of what needed to happen the next day. If we needed to send an invoice to someone or whatever, like he would, he was doing all that kind of stuff during the summer so that I could, I could focus on the program. Um, and then obviously Johnny Daffin, um, who we've talked about, he, he comes out, for the first portion of the summer to kind of help with the hands-on type stuff. And then there's a ton of um, volunteers throughout the summer. Like every ranch we go to, you know, if they have three or four Cowboys, they're taking one of our guys every day and riding with them and teaching them and talking to them and showing them how to do stuff. Um, so we have a ton of support during the summer um, in terms of the board of directors we basically, when we formed the nonprofit, we formed it with kind of a, a core group of, of friends from Ranger Regiment who 
um, had either been involved in, in some of the early decision making or had kind of been test dummies for the program who could provide feedback for it. Um, and so they've been super great for the last couple of years, but we're in the process now of um, kind of refining our board and, and putting some some different types of personalities on there. It's not super useful to have a board of six and all six have the exact same background. Um, so, you know, we right. want, we want uh, someone from the Stock Growers Association. We want someone who's a good fundraiser. We want someone who is a legal person. So we're, we're in the process of revamping all of that. Okay. Yeah, I knew. So um, I knew several of them were either ex-military or still in. You know, Ian being one. I I had just met him last summer. I might have met him before, but I don't recall. Yeah. But um, and then now a couple of a couple of the guys that went through last year, like is Croc still around? Oh yeah, Crocs will be uh, back next week. In May, um, he will be helping me fix fence for a month, and then he will be uh, back for the first portion of the course helping us do the instruction. Right. So I mentioned that, and this kind of brings us back to why did you go to Harvard to get your MBA? And I, because I know Crocs is also, he's doing NYU or something to finish up his degree, right? Yeah. So the education component of this, you know, a lot of times we're seeing this big debate about college and whether it's worthy and all that sort of stuff, but you felt it necessary to go get an MBA in doing bear hug cattle company. Why is that? Yeah. So I, I have probably a little bit of a different perspective than someone like uh, Crocs would have. But so for me, there was two reasons that I wanted to kind of get an MBA. One was I felt if I was going to be running and leading an organization where I was going to be handling large amounts of other people's money. Like I wanted to learn how to be a good steward of that and be a professional at it. Um, and so I remember kind of sitting and talking about it, you know, when bear hug was kind of starting to gain some traction. And I thought like, there's nothing in my life that I've done where I haven't like prepared to do it well. Um, right. Like if you're going to go on a deployment, like you go to a shooting school before, if you're going to go on a deployment, you, you train with, like people who are better at the skills that you want to be good at before you go on an appointment. And so I kind of just looked at it like that is like, if I'm going to be running a, a business, um, which a nonprofit very much so is then like, I should do something formal that teaches me how to do that. And in the army, you know, you, you have none of the like technical business skills, um, you have a lot of like leadership and managerial skills, but like on the technical side of just handling money and, and um, how to think about decisions like that, you, you don't get much of. Um, and so I just wanted some more kind of formal, formal training w- with that kind of stuff. Um, so that was one of the reasons. The second reason uh, is, you know, no one has ever taken a dollar from bear hug cattle company. Every dollar that's ever been, Fundraise for Bear Hug has stayed within Bear Hug gone directly to costs associated with putting the program on. And so the other reason is like I needed to figure out what I could potentially do. Um, because at that time also Bear Hug was not in a place where it could have salaried employees. It is now. Um, but you know, three years ago when I decided to apply to business school, it was not at a place where it could be my full-time gig. Right. Are you, so that was the other question I had is, are, is this going to be your full-time gig or is it, you know, just while the programs are going and prepping for the programs? Yeah. So I have two full-time jobs is probably what I would say right now. Um, so for the last year, I've also been working for an early stage uh, venture fund that invests exclusively in military veterans called Hivers and Strivers based out of, out of DC. Um, so I've been working for them for the last year, as well as running bear hug and I'll continue to do both. Yeah. There's there. You are, if nothing else, a driven person. I've known that since you were a kid. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I can't, I can't be bored. So um, let me ask you this kind of going back into bear hug for a bit. You're um, so this year for the summer, you're starting out in Walden and then ending in Montana and vice versa for the fall. 
Yeah, so basically, you know, last year we started in Montana, went to Wyoming, finished in Colorado, and then went all the way back up for the ranch rodeo. This year, we're starting in Walden, going to Wyoming, and then finishing in Montana. Then, every, you know, the first crop of people will will go uh, on to their jobs and ranches and stuff like that. I will then go back down to Walden, Colorado, get the second group, and do that same exact path again. Okay. <clears throat> so one of the things I wanted to chat with you about is what I found fascinating out there last year was the community in and around the Montana area of the vets who are involved in a lot of the activities or mm-hmm. similar activities like the the war party movement, you know, mm-hmm. Jeremiah's thing and um, Greg at Little Belt. Yep. Yeah, they're, these are, I don't know if this is accurate or not, but they're basically special operators who are now retired military and running either ranches or programs for other individuals, right? Yeah, definitely. Um, and so Greg at Little Belt Cattle Company is just an awesome, awesome example of when Little Belt Cattle Company, as you know, is one of our stops in Montana. But for, for people who don't know, Greg Putnam, co-founder and manager of Little Belt Cattle Company in Martinsdale, Montana. Um, he is a Navy SEAL. He has a Navy SEAL buddy. They they started this ranch a couple of years ago. It's been wildly successful. Um, they're producing super high-quality beef. They're kind of uh, really just kind of taking over that area in terms of ranching and, and, just, and just have a really high-quality operation going on. Um, and, and, you know, he would, I won't speak for him, but he would generally agree that, uh, it's a great career post-military career because you get a lot of the same elements that you got in the military of needing the discipline and the hard work and, a you know, professional set of skills and you're around amazing people. Um, but your risk of dying is just a lot less. Um, right. yeah, that's so, true. Well, mostly. It's not zero, but it's definitely less. Um, so, and so, are they doing regenerative farming? So they are doing. Um, I, I don't know if this is a misnomer, but so like the idea of regenerative to me is something that most ranchers have been doing forever, right? Because if you like the opposite of regenerative, in my mind, would be like destructive, and so. If you're if you're a ranch and you overgraze your grass, right? Like the whole whole business model of ranching is every year you turn grass into beef. And if that's your business model and you ruin the soil and grass so that you cannot use it again next year to produce beef, then like you go out of business. Um and so what a lot of, you know, every successful ranch that's been around for a long time has learn to manage their places so that every spring they get healthy land and grass coming back so that they can continue to feed cows there and and turn grass into beef. Um, So little belt is, you know, they're very good at it. Um, And, and, and there's, you know, some nuance in how people do it, but I would definitely say that they are doing regenerative uh, type ranching in the sense that, you know, they're managing their land usage, their water usage very well so that they can maximize the amount of output they can produce on a given amount of land um, in, in like a healthy, sustainable way. Okay. Yeah, I, I remember, I think you had mentioned last year, they were doing kind of new stuff, like more yield on the grass to use less acreage for the per head of cattle and yeah, so Greg is Greg is like a genius with this stuff and 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 he's super good at it. So they are probably like I said within ranches there's probably some nuance into how much you could get out of like if you took 100 acres on one ranch, 100 acres on another, there's definitely like management practices you could use to get more out of 100 acres on one ranch than you could on an, on another. Um, and I would say like the little belt guys are very good at at doing that. Right. And so tell me a little bit about, and this is, I was trying to explain this the other day to somebody, but, um, you know, your program is basically almost like a job placement, but more of a job training for vets coming out of the military and teaching them ranch life. 
Jeremiah, for example, his is similar, but different customers, so to speak, right? He's not dealing with vets. He's dealing with people who've been traumatized, mostly women through trafficking and other things. Yeah. So he, I can't speak to the exact criteria he uses, but his is, you know, his is more of a, um, helping people who have been through abusive relationships or traumatic uh, experiences, women specifically, um, and basically getting them plugged into the ranching community for a lot of the same reasons. Um, you know, we see veterans struggle because they lose their community. Um, and and we're hopefully giving them in the ranching community a great community to join. I, Jeremiah is doing something very similar with with women who have been through traumatic experiences, he's giving them a, a great community to join, um, you know, after they've had those experiences. Yeah. It's, I, I knew it was totally different in the sense that, you know, what the, the aim was, but the training is somewhat similar, maybe not the same, but yeah. S- similar. And, and he too is a former military, right? Correct. He was a, he's a former green beret. Okay. Yeah. I did. I kind of, knew there was some connection there Mm -hmm. and it's it's a fascinating community out there. It really is. I I say this all the time. Um, Like Montana has become just like a gathering ground for, you know, ex military people. Um, And so, you know, there's a, a couple of bars you could go into in the greater Bozeman area. And like, you could walk in and, you know, I could see three people that I knew from the military and 15 that I could tell were like in the, you know, special operations community at some point. So, um, they do a have really, a look about them. Yeah. It's a really, it is a small world out there. Yeah. I, I found that really cool. Fascinating. and Cool. But. Yeah. Like I bet at the rodeo last year, there was, I mean, there's 20 guys who had been either in Ranger Regiment or Green Berets, like, um, at, at that rodeo, like in in the middle of nowhere, Ennis, Montana. Um, right. And so it's just, it's a cool it's a cool community for sure. So um, you've crisscrossed the country twice in the last week, right? Or the last couple of weeks? Yeah. Yeah. Um, so you're going from you're in Boston right now, um, finishing up the Harvard stuff. And then where are you headed from here? So I'll go back from, uh, when I finish up with school stuff, I'll go back to, um, Montana. And so I have a, I have a little place out there, uh, that I live, um, in Manhattan, Montana. And I'll, I'll, that's kind of where I'll pre-stage to, to get everything ready for this summer. And then, uh, also, you know, kind of set up shop out there after Boston. And what does the program start for the summer? June, June 7th. Okay. So you've got so a little the, bit of time. Yeah, it's about a, it's about a week later than last year. Um, just because uh, Ian is getting married the weekend before and, you know, throwing our whole schedule off. Uh, <laughs> so it's his fault. Yeah, he's very inconsiderate <laughs> with it. But um, so we, we bumped it back a week just so we could be there for him. Right. And then... So you'll finish up in, I'm guessing, late August. Is that about right? Yeah, we'll we'll finish we'll we'll finish our first iteration like the second week of August, and then we'll pick up the next one. You know, the fourth week of August. Okay, so that kind of puts you in the winter time, or at least at snowfall will be there. If you're snowfall in... will certainly be happening by the time we finish the second one. Yeah, and in this class, um, I was noticing because you you put the guys coming in, you know, up on social media. And I, I saw that you had a sniper and a rifleman and I'm not sure about the other guys. Yeah. But. So we have, uh, two, two army guys, a Marine Corps guy and, uh, and, uh, special forces guy. And, uh, two, the two army guys are on, uh, they've gotten out and they're on their local, uh, SWAT teams. Um, and then the green beret is, is transitioning out right now. Um, and, the the Marine has, um, transitioned out, just finished farrier school, which is great news for us. And then <laughs> so, is joining so us explain what summer. a farrier is. Someone who shoes horses, which is right. like the bane of my existence. Um, probably the bane of, of your son's existence as well. Right. 
Yeah, so that's that's going to be interesting. I told my son he should hop down if you're in Walden or wherever to, you know, pick up some rifleman skills. Yeah, but yeah. I know um, prairie dogs are kind of the bane of their existence out on the ranch. Yes, we do. Uh, we do a lot of prairie dog extermination throughout the summer um, as a group. But, as a public uh, service. Yes. We, the worst thing that could happen is a horse trips in one of those holes. So we are doing our, our part as good citizens. Um, right. But, yeah, Walden, we're only about 80 miles south of uh, the ID in Wyoming. So it's a, you know, that's basically a neighbor. Yeah. Yep. In any case. Well, Benjamin Minden, let's talk about what people can do to help your mission. Absolutely. Um, there's a couple things and like the, the, the easiest low hanging fruit is like, you know, as I mentioned, we're a hundred percent donor funded. Um, and no one has ever taken any money from the program. Every dollar that we've ever fundraised has gone into, you know, food, fuel, horses, hay, shoes, saddles, ropes, um, all that kind of stuff, uh, for the program. And so obviously that, that's a, that's a, the probably the best and the easiest way to help is um is is to donate to the deal um which you can do online you could reach out to me directly and and i could talk to anyone through that the other pieces um you know i'm gonna put the links to everything under the audio portion of this but okay perfect and then the the other kind of big way that uh people can help is um you know, like one of the things that we we're starting to do more is try and pair specific people with specific ranches after they finish our program. And we're building a pretty good database of people who have gone through our program and ranches who are interested in hiring people from our program. And so if you're one of those ranches who is hiring people and is interested in hiring someone who has uh, a couple months worth of of high intensity training, then, uh, feel free to reach out to us. Let me, let me touch on that for a second. It's I, I knew you were doing that. And, um, is, is there a need for Cowboys these days? Like, is it, is it, yeah. Is there under, is there a shortage of Cowboys out there that can work ranches? Yes. Um, there definitely is a huge need from like the labor market side of the house. Um, right. It's, it's, uh, it's a tough outdoor physical job that requires like you to have a set of professional skills to be able to do. So, um, I think it is, uh, right. That a lot of the ranches need tons of cowboys and it's just harder to, to find them these days because I think traditionally kind of what we talked about before, um, younger people now, um, are primarily interested in going to college or going to working at Amazon or working in an air conditioned building, which like that's, that's cool. Um, I don't, uh, that's not a bad thing, but it just, it's creating a shortage of people who want to go out in the rain and the mud and the snow and the heat and ride horses and, and work long days and, and stuff like that. by bulls and cows. Yep, exactly. And so there definitely is a shortage of, of, of people in the, in the market right now in terms of like the, the Cowboys. And so we get emails and phone calls nonstop from ranches everywhere from Texas to Montana to California asking to hire, you know, one of our guys. And, you know, we just don't, we haven't, we don't have enough guys to, to give to all the ranches at this point. Um, And so, well, yeah, part of that I would assume is because, you know, you can only put so many guys through on the budgets that you've got. And so if you had bigger budgets, could you put more guys through or guys yes. and gals, I should say, but, but yep. And so, yeah, I should also note we are having our first uh, female come through this year, which will be awesome. Uh, she's a fighter pilot, but yes, to answer your question, like scaling for us is simply a factor of money. Um, and it, and it doesn't scale linearly, it scales exponentially. So, um, you know, if we doubled our budget, we wouldn't double our output. We would quadruple our output. Um, and so we, you know, we just, it's a factor of time and money. Um, and so if we had someone come in and and say, you know, Hey, I want to double your budget. What can you do with that? We could do an exorbitant amount with that. And, uh, 
and, and get a lot done. Right. Well, for those listeners, donate to Bear Hug Cattle Company and help some vets learn to be cowboys and cowgirls. Heck yeah. So, Benjamin Minden, thank you for coming on. Thanks for having and, me. And maybe I'll see you over the summer, maybe not. So, depends on where we both land at the same time. You should come out for the uh, branding this year. What What month is that? I think it'll be the first week of July, I'm hoping. Okay. Well, I'm heading out to Wyoming next week, so, and then <laughs> two weeks. <laughs> probably will be in Wyoming next week as well, so. Oh, maybe I'll see you there. Maybe I'll see you, yeah. <laughs> All right. Thanks for coming on. All right. Thank you. You are listening to Labor Relations Radio. So that was Ben Minden with Bear Hug Cattle Company. And as I mentioned during our conversation, I'll be leaving some links under the audio portion of this episode. If you'd like to check them out, please do. If you'd like to donate, also please do. They could use the money and 100% of it goes back into the program, training vets coming out of the military on how to get into ranching. In any case, that wraps up another episode of Labor Relations Radio. I'm your host, Peter List, and if you'd like to reach out, you can do so on Twitter at Workplace Report. That's at Workplace RPT. Give us a call at 1-888-668-6466 or leave a comment under the audio portion of this episode. Thanks for listening and have a great week. You have been listening to Labor Relations Radio. Hey, Labor Relations Radio listeners, this is just a quick reminder. If you enjoy Labor Relations Radio, make sure you share these episodes with your colleagues and make sure you and your colleagues visit laborunionnews.com and subscribe to our News Digest.